That's a magic number. Three. It is. It's the magic number. Three. Yes, yes, y'all. Yes, yes, y'all. Because three is a magic number. Jeremy, what's up, buddy? I I can't I can't rap. <laughs> I don't think I was rapping either. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, how are you? I am surprisingly pretty good. Surprisingly pretty good this week. How are you? Uh, I'm pretty good as well, and. And if only there was someone else here, we could say it's like the third time's a charm or something. I know. This would have been a good episode to drop a like random third person in, but uh, we didn't. So whatever. <laughs> but, you know, one plus one equals three. They That's say. right. That is Sometimes. true. Sometimes. That is yeah. very true. Uh, so, Jeremy, uh, as we have already sort of alluded to, this week we are doing the best third in a trilogy, uh, which is very exciting and one that both of us were pretty like – Felt like this was going to be like an easy sort of, not easy, but like not a research heavy. Uh, how'd that work out for you in putting your list together this week, friend? Uh, correct on the research part. I think it took all of some small number of minutes to get to a list of, and I am very specific this time, exactly 16 movies that were my entire set of contenders. Because as much as I thought this was full, it's just not. It's it's this is there's there's not a plethora to work with. That's true. Uh, I have a quick question for you before we dive too much deeper, though. Uh, how many of your movies are actually the third parts of trilogies? How many movies are actually the third parts? Well, knowing that we're both breaking some rules this week, how, like in that from that specific definition. Well, so the here's the hard part. When you say trilogy, that's that's where I get hung up. All of them are the third part. <laughs> There's no doubt that they are the third part. Whether or not they are the third part of a trilogy, meaning ends at three, meh, you know, there might be some wiggle room there. Whether or not it was like a part one, two, three, and it's like a real trilogy, meh, meh, I don't know, maybe, maybe not, we'll see. Possible? No. All right. So I think we're in the same boat because when I did a final count of my top five plus Pong, seven of those selections have more than three movies in the overall series. Yeah, that's that's but, fair. But I did adhere to the aforementioned, there's no like uh, the third James Bond, the third uh, uh, Fast and Furious right. movies where there's potentially infinite in the <laughs> franchise. I, I stuck with, I, I tried to stick with the spirit of the concept as much as I could. Yeah. All right. I did something similar. What happened with mine is basically I, same as you kind of put my list together of these are all of the third movies that I can think of that I could be bothered to ever talk about. And then very quickly was like half of these suck. Uh, and was like, here's the ones that I would actually talk about. It wound up being, I think, maybe 13 or 14 for me of good movies. And then a couple where I was like, eh, spiritually, I will keep you in the mix just in case I feel like being weird. And what actually happened is unlike I ever do, like my list was basically done Monday. Like I was done. Like this is Ooh. one where I just, which I, it's, that is the opposite of what I do. Yeah. And, and so I didn't even really reference it again until yesterday. And then I looked at it yesterday and I was like, Oh, I don't know if I listened to any of the rules we put forward. Yikes. Mm. Uh, and then I was like, that's nah, screw it. I'm going to keep it. So <laughs> that, that works for, that works for us. 
By the way, uh, I'd like to introduce a, a minor new segment that, that'll be intermittent, of course. Okay. It's, it's called Dictionary.com, and this week's entry is Bailiwick, the definition <laughs> of which, the office or jurisdiction of a bailiff. Okay. Well, today I learned never to use that in context again. <laughs> yeah. So... It's, you know, it sort of means wheelhouse-ish, you know, but sure. however I used it last week was very, very wrong. Yeah, yeah, We got, that That text couldn't have come fast enough. The second this yeah. was out, that was like, nope, that's not right. <laughs> I almost sometimes think he, like, somehow skips ahead through the episode to find he knows. The, weird, the words. He just knows. He listens on one and a half and just hears a word he assumes we don't know how to use right, and he's probably right most of the time. Yeah. I'll, I'll just leave it by saying that there's a lot to complexify the situation and, yeah. and move on from there. Perfect. Uh, so let's complexify the situation by starting with our Shawshank. So for those of you who don't know, the Shawshank test for us is, is there a sort of a defining feature? Our first episode uh, was the rewatchables. Also, our 50, 52nd episode was rewatchables. Mm. Again. Uh, most rewatchable movie is clearly Shawshank and I'll die on that hill. So, Jeremy, is there a category defining this is the best third movie in a trilogy for you? I'm going to go with that. Hell's Yes. Okay. That's a strong one. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I have one that I don't want to put forward because I just assume that if it's not your Shawshank, it's in your list. And I don't want to I don't want to step on it. Oh, no, it's it's that. Okay. Okay. So. Should I just dive right in? Yeah, yeah, man, get after it. Wait, were you, would you have Shawshanked this to not... Would it have been your Shawshank other than your desire to preserve my ability to talk about it? Like, like did you consider that also? Yeah, once I actually looked at the list, I was like, there's one other one that I could make a maybe an argument for, but, like, in general, I think... for I mean, my, my five words for this were because Jeremy, just to be clear. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, in, in general, I do think that this is probably the category definer. So yeah. Is, so is this, are you putting this forward as a Shawshank or are we getting straight into your list right now? Uh, Shawshanking, the five words I have are closure on destroying some, some jewelry. Okay. Yeah. That's well said. Yeah. That's well said. The movie, of course, being, uh, the Lord of the Rings, the return of the King from 2003 and, uh, you know, Shawshank respecting that for a second, but to just say, Nominated 11 Oscars, won 11 Oscars. No other movie's ever done that. And we can go into a whole discussion about quantity of endings, and it works. Yeah. This, so. this one felt like this is the first one that I wrote down, period. And I was like, Jeremy will either talk about this or we will just agree to Shawshank it. And so I'm just going to let him have the floor. So the floor was yours, and I'm interested that you decided to Shawshank it. I feel like I've talked about it a bunch of times. Uh, I was going to go into a whole thing about how every single storyline gets wrapped up tightly and all that, but it's, 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 you know, it's the best finale to a trilogy. It's full closure. Even the extended edition is amazing. Yeah. Sorry. Even the non-extended edition is amazing. (laughs) Nice. Um, All right. So that means that we get into the top five, which I think I get to start this week. Yeah. You, You sure do. Hey, good for me. 
so ooh, where do I want to start? I, my list took like a surprising turn for me as far as like theme wise, uh, which was, I guess, not surprising now that I think about it. But I'm going to start with this one because this is the one I want to talk about the most. And I don't want you to step on it just in case you picked it. Uh, November 3rd, 2017. Ooh. I believe this might be in my list. I've stopped writing down the the month date thing and going to just the year. So, but I think I think it is. Let's, okay, let's continue. Uh, how about I give you Zachary Levi and Carl Urban? I would have given you Carl Urban and Idris Elba. And Idris Elba, yeah. So, what was your top five? What was your five words? Closure on planet, not people. Uh, I said new haircut energizes hero. <laughs> nice Thor <laughs> Ragnarok. Yeah. Uh, this movie's the best, man. Like, I just love everything about this movie. And I was so excited that this is the third one. And as of right now, it actually stands up that we know there's a fourth one coming that's not out yet. So I was like, this is like truly in our wheelhouse of the third part of a trilogy that is trilogy still. There's there's a lot of like kind of interesting stuff about this. I think the anybody who listens to this podcast knows that my love for Taika Waititi runs very deep. Uh, and, you know, there's everything he did in this, I just, is I think is so interesting. Like, this movie was like so fun, but on theme, it was basically like the PG 13 version of Deadpool. Like I think what Taika did to hmm. open up Marvel for everybody else, like is can't, can't be understated. Like I really think this changed the way the MCU came together after because it just sort of, it introduced this element of fun, which they had before with, with Tony Stark, but it was snark, right? Like this movie was just fun. Like it was fun. And you could tell, like I read a, a crazy thing, which is that, Taika said like 80% of the film was ad-libbed or they threw stuff in, which feels so off-brand for Marvel, right? Like I think if you think about Marvel, everything else with the exception of Tony Stark, right, with RDJ because he's got his whole shtick of having somebody in his ear and he sometimes listens to the lines and sometimes doesn't, but he's Robert Downer Jr. Everybody else, I think you feel like they're probably like – Hard on book, off book, right? They come in ready to work and the words are the words. This is not like an Apatow thing where he's in the background going, try it this way. Like, I think it's, this comes in pretty tight. So to hear that Ragnarok wasn't is amazing. And I think you can kind of feel it. And I think it's sort of like, it was a unique take. It reminded me of the comics more so than any of the other stuff did. Because the comics are so pithy and fun and sort of like juvenile and childish. And there's all this like weird little kind of like, dumb boy humor and little kid humor that like Thor Ragnarok not only leaned into, but like nailed. Uh, yeah, I just, I, I could talk about this movie longer, but I want you to talk about it because it's on your list and that's exciting. Yeah. I think that's all well said. I agree with you. Like Stark brought the snark, you know, that's what went to my head when he said that. But if you think about the sort of the comedy arc of the MCU, you've got like the one-liners that, that were constant throwaways through much of the much of the first batch of movies, you really don't get comedy until you hit Ant Man, which yep. is which is like a comedy heist. Yep. And then, I think for me, Ragnarok most channels the nature of a comic book. Right. The jokes have like they're they're not snarky. They're not they're not uh, too much tongue in cheek. I'd say maybe Guardians is probably in that also in that realm of yep. holds together the comic book, the action, and just a ton of personality. I love the humor in it. I agree with you. I, I actually had no idea about that level of improv. I think that's that's crazy to hear about. Where I found this movie so good also is it really acts as the third part of a character arc. Yeah. So there's no 
the storyline from one through three is kind of weak. Like, and let's be honest, Thor one and two are both kind of weaker entries in the overall MCU. But somehow Waititi takes this third movie and has uh, uh, Thor gets Thor Thor grows, Loki grows, which if you're watching Loki is become even more obvious, yep. right? Because because like the Loki show, the TV show Loki is not the same as Thor Ragnarok Loki. That's right. And uh, we, I'll, I think we should probably stay away from potential spoilers on that for now, though. Um, and then, like, even the notion of the rest of the storytelling around all of Asgard sort of gets its own end of arc. And as much as I love that they're making a fourth one and all that, I really can actually look at these three as a, as a kind of coherent set of movie. With just weaker, you know, two weaker entries followed by a third stronger, unlike so many other trilogies. Um, but I also love it. This is my go-to if I'm going to put on an MCU movie. It's basically either the last 50 minutes of Endgame, yep, Guardians after about 10 minutes, or all of Ragnarok. Yeah, it's. For, I agree. It's all of Ragnarok for me. Um, I just think, yeah, I, I love what you said. I do, I do like that. I'm, I'm actually nervous about the fourth one because I actually think they set this one up so perfectly. It's like it, and again, it's weird, right? Like it goes the opposite way. I actually think you can make an argument that it goes three, two, one as far as like which from best to worst. Although two's got some real weird stuff, and it's got to be three, one, two. Actually, now that I say that out loud. Uh, but, yeah, there's there's some problems with number two. Yeah, there's some real <laughs> problems with it. But yeah, three had no problems. Uh, absolutely love this movie. I, I agree. I think it's one of the best in the MCU. I did find one thing out that I didn't know that blew my mind. Did you know who – so who voiced Hulk in this movie? This is – is it not uh, Ruffalo? So it was Ruffalo, which leads to my follow-up question. Do you know who voiced the Hulk in every other movie? Yeah, uh, uh, Lee, uh, Lee Ferrigno. Lou Ferrigno. Lou Ferrigno. Right. Lee, that's Lee. S- somehow, that's just a thing I didn't know. Like, I just didn't know that they were still bringing him back just to do Hulk voice. And so I, like, ran across that while looking up. I'm like, what don't I know about Thor Ragnarok? Because I, I thought I had read a lot about this movie. And I was just like, whoa, that's kind of neat. Apparently, I never paid attention to the credits. So anyway, Mark Ruffalo, this is the first time that Lou Ferrigno did not do the Hulk voice. Was there a reason why? I have no idea. Or? He just huh? didn't do it. All right. So, All yeah. Right. Uh, does that mean it's back to me? Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we both picked. we got to keep uh, keep the rules. The sacred rules of the podcast must stay intact. I have a feeling that that might not, that, that might not be the only time that happens today, but we'll see. All right. Oh, I, I would – I have – I believe that there's not going to be more than like two things in all of your list that weren't in my entirety of movie uh, harvesting. I was trying to look actually for movies I thought might make it more your wheelhouse just because of age and timing and all that. And I did have a couple. I put them down. We'll see. uh, We'll see where they hit for you. Okay. So my next one uh, is the one. I, I'm very happy with this one. And I, I know this. if this isn't on your list, I would not be surprised if it's not on your list, but I think that you'll be happy to talk about it. Okay. So May 19th, 1995. Uh, I have an entry from 1995. Let's continue. Okay. I'll give you Aldous Hodge and Graham Greene. 
Those names mean nothing to me, but continue. Okay. Five words, dangerous game of Simon Says. Yeah. I have this in Pong, and I have closure on the Gruber family. Okay, nice. So, Die Hard with a Vengeance, if you haven't figured that out yet, uh, originally was titled, Simon Says, uh, highest grossing uh, worldwide movie of 1995. I, this is a 58 on Metacritic. I know we don't use that anymore, but I want to Wall Street this. This movie's (laughs) awesome. Like, this is a archetypal action movie. I don't know. Do you remember how this movie starts? This movie starts, it's, no, I actually do not recall. I think there, I, I thought there was like the, it's the, on the Wall Street, but it's yeah, not, is it? It's, it's not Wall Street. It's the first bomb, but just opening scene, normal stuff, boom, explosion, phone call, uh, uh, Jeremy Irons, I want to talk to McLean. McLean's hungover. I mean, like you're in this, you're in the thick of this. Instantly, I think this movie runs for like two ten or two oh eight or something like that, and like there is no warm up. This movie nice. just gets straight into kick you in the teeth action. And considering it was ninety five, there's a lot of good action. Like you're talking car scenes, boats, subways, right? I love Charlie the bomb guy; he's great. Right. Like there's all these like little characters. Graham Greene. It was Joe Lambert who was the fire guy that was in the school. Ah, this movie's like really holds up. Like this really, really holds up, and it's just so good. And I feel like it kind of. This is the one where I listen. I know there's two more, at least one more. There's the one with Kevin Smith and Justin Long and Timothy Oliphant, which oh, is yeah. is that uh, the live free, the, live free or die hard? Right. There's two more. The, that one's okay, and then the one with Jake Courtney is just terrible. So I've never seen that one because I just refuse to accept that it exists because that's the one where he's supposed to be a son or something, and I'm just I'm out. I'm just out. The one with Justin Long is cute. It's a good TNT movie. It's kind of watchable. There's a bunch of holes in that plot wise, but like whatever. Oh, yeah. This movie's really tight. Like this movie makes sense. Like the scheme. I'm actually mad that I didn't think of this for our heist one. This is a really good heist. Like the Fair. idea that you're going to like play the vengeance card, right? And you're going to play the vengeance card really hard. And then you're going to like set off all this stuff and you're going to set a wild goose chase through the city so that you can rob the Federal Reserve and then sort of do that under the cover of darkness. Now, there's a couple really hinky moments in how easy the Federal Reserve was to break into, but that's fine. But like outside of that, it's a really, really smart idea. And then the idea that he's double-crossing his own guy, there's like a lot of levels to this. And it's like, I think it's underappreciated for kind of how smart it was because everybody went, oh, bros, it's just another McLean. No, this is like a really, really good movie. Like I stand behind this being a great action movie. And the addition of Sam Jackson which he is, he's on record as saying this is like the closest to his character in real life he's ever played, which is great. Uh, and also, like, they made New York City a character, which I'm such a sucker for. But <laughs> the, the city of New York became a character. Like, you had to get to Tompkins Square Park and you had to get to the Upper East and you had to get this is where Harlem was and there was a bomb in Chinatown. All these little things about navigating the city became a really important part of it. And I really actually think this movie's way better than people give it credit for. 58 is an is an astonishingly low low score. Uh, but otherwise, like I, I think this, aside from the technology stuff, if you can remove technology, I think you could play this for people like kids today. And it still holds up. It's a great, it's like a really fun romp. Yeah, I, I think I think it's all very well said. I think for me it was it was never quite, you know, the first I heard was just so amazing. 
Right. And the second one was fine. It, was fine. it had a few too many, like, couldn't they just have, you know, and, and good answers to those questions. This one, I remember this feeling after watching it where I came out of the theater with, with that, like, yeah, that was okay. You know, it wasn't, I, I, I do remember that. Like, I, I think, you know, the Die Hard franchise is just too hard to live up to the original kind of thing. But it was one of those movies that was on TNT like every other weekend. And I remember there was a certain point where I really flipped into, you know, the ending's meh. Like, I'll be honest, I think I still think that that last chase action at the border, I mean, it's nice to see Canada, you know, but yeah. it's a little, it, it just, eh, just a little eh on the whole story. But if you can push that aside for a second, I think gets to your point. The rest of it's just solid. Sam Jackson's got a, Sam Jackson's character. This is great because he's not, he's not like the not Vic Vega. What was uh, he's not uh, the the Pulp Fiction Sam Jackson, and he's not the Stanley um, Stanley. I'm all over the place today. He's not the MCU Sam Jackson. This is a much more yeah. You know, this is a different one, right? This is this is his own character, and. Everything about it works nicely together, right? And it, it and the hinkiness of things like the ending, what you, you could put them aside because you're right. Like it's a tight story. It's a good heist. The ruses are clever. Yeah. The way they catch on to what the ruses are over time is well done. I think the only other thing I had an issue with is if memory serves was when like the final bomb shows up and it's just so damn big that it was just like, I remember that feeling like, oh, come on. It, it's it's sort of like pulling out another Death Star. It's like you don't need it to go to that over-the-top thing. Yeah. And it had maybe like one too many countdowns that end with like less than a second to go moments. But I can forgive all that because it is a tight story. It's fun. It's different. It seems like a blueprint that there should be more copies of, actually. I, I feel like you you could you could have a Simon Says movie right now. You know, you take out the family legacy. It wasn't originally a diehard story, right? They optioned the book and just turned the characters into John McClane and uh, other Gruber. Yeah, that's exactly right. So they actually, they they refused to sell the script uh, to Joel Silver, who was going to make it Lethal Weapon. <laughs> huh. How about that? <laughs> yeah, so it turned into this instead. So I do think so, just on the hinky stuff quick, because I actually, listen, it's from 1995. I'm going to spoil stuff. Get over it. Uh <laughs> So the final scene was not hinky in my opinion, but rushed, right? Like the, the idea of like on a helicopter and he's shooting and McLean does the whole thing where he like gets him and the hell, I mean, they're like pl- unrealistic, but plausible. But the fact that it just happened so quickly when you've spent a solid two hours of everything else being really, really precision driven to then just be like, oh, I guess I'll just shoot this cord down and take down the chopper. It just felt lazy. Like it felt like super rushed because everything else was so, so like really into it. Uh, I have watched this recently. I don't think the countdown thing was that bad. There was two, which is on the border of one too many. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The only thing I didn't like is, I, I agree with you, the bomb was stupid, but you could make an argument for why the bomb on the boat had to be that big because they were supposed to char all the gold, even though it wasn't actually happening. So you could like make an argument there. The, how quickly they were able to just get into the Federal Reserve was like, I even recently was like, it was comical. Like getting into it, whatever. But like the idea that you go down, they use a, they use one big crazy like Ocean's 13 drill bit 
And then they're just like all the gold, just $13 billion worth of gold. I'm like, there's not two walls. Like that was the only part where I was like, this feels, that feels a little too simple. Like it's, it's like the opposite of the original Die Hard heist where they have to spend, you know, hours and hours slowly with these electromagnetic magnetic locks or whatever it was. Right. This time it's like open sesame. Okay. Yeah. They just go down into like, you know, they blow out a subway tunnel and then there's just one exterior wall to the largest reserve of funds in the U.S. I don't know. That part felt a little rushed. <laughs> Fair enough. But uh, I think it is fun. I think... I think it's a good pick. I had it just down in Pong because it wasn't quite as, um, for what it was, it was definitely my rule breaker grouping. Oh, yeah, uh, for sure. But I also sort of ignored that point because they really should have just, and like, this could have been the last one and we'd have been fine. Like, Yeah, I think if you ask anybody who's your age more than my age, I think Die Hard's a trilogy. And then there's then they had like a franchise that spun off of it. I think the next two were like, spiritual sequel nonsense like it's not a continuation of the story it's a new story with the yeah. same character these yeah. three are all connected right you could yeah, argue two funny. wasn't connected <laughs> right die harder right i still remember when that was being announced we were all like will they actually call something die harder and they did <laughs> so okay so this is my pong so i will do one of my actual top five now I, I couldn't come up with a good ordering this week, so I'm just going to do it in the way I had them written down. 1966 is the year. Old okay. school. Oh, you boy. didn't even know they had trilogies back then, did you, JT? I didn't even know they had films in 66. Go on. <laughs> this is IMDb's, I, according to IMDb voters, the ninth highest voted movie of all time. That's very high. I have a hunch you don't know it. But uh, or you might you probably know of it. I don't know if you've seen it, but it stars Eli Wallach and Lee Van Cleef. Yeah, cool story, bro. Who are basically the second and third top billed actors in the movie? Right. That's how confident I was you wouldn't know it, uh, yeah. and all the rest you wouldn't have heard of anyway. Closure on No Named Man. Closure on No Named Man. So the only trilogy that I can think of uh, is this Clint Eastwood. Yes. Um, why can't I think of the actual name of the third one? Oh gosh, this is the it's the Dollar Bill trilogy, right? Um, I, I will accept if you can properly name the trilogy. You're you're in the right. You're very very close. So, so. oh man, no, no, I'm bummed out. But go ahead. So the trilogy is officially called the Man with No Name trilogy. And it's a fistful of dollars. Okay. For a few dollars more. Yeah. And this one, the get the good, the bad, and the ugly. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Okay. I knew. So I was close with the dollars thing because I remember, yeah. like, I know this is like I was in there. But okay. Yeah. So I, I can tell you that I have not seen the first two. But you've seen this. I've seen this. Okay. Which, which makes sense because this is one of those. I wonder how it's going to do now because I have yet to show it to my kids because I don't think they can sit through two plus hours of 60s pacing Western movies that are beautifully paced and shot, but agonizingly slow compared to watching, say, uh, Thor Ragnarok or Fast and Furious, any. Like my memory of this is this is slow in comparison to like watching The Nanny. 
Like it was slow. I mean, this is it's like slow. real slow. <laughs> this is like brooding kind of slow. This is the everybody leave me alone. I'm going to sit on my couch and watch an amazing movie that I, that, and the truth is you don't want to be distracted from it because right. it'll pull you out of it. And the moment you're out of it, you're going to realize how slow it is. Like I, I, I still think it's a brilliant movie. I haven't seen it in about 10 odd years. Uh, but even my last viewing of it, I was like, I love this. It perfectly holds up. It's exactly when I was in the mindset to watch it, 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 it delivered what I wanted. Um, I, don't think at the, at the time I remember, I think I first saw it when I was a kid. My dad showed it to me when I was probably like 12, 13. Saw it again, early 20s, and then again, maybe about, yeah, 10, 12 years ago. The last time I watched it is when I really started noticing things about like the cinematography, the amazing use of like broad, broad vistas, and then like super close up, like facial studies. Yeah. And the soundtrack as, you know, ridiculously good uh and you know morricone's beautiful music here's what i didn't know by the way the first one for uh fistful of dollars is yojimbo oh really just yeah just set in the west i had no idea well again i've never seen it but i also like so i learned that this was a trilogy when watching the good and the bad and the ugly with like i think my cousin or friend okay and i just remember like at the end of watching that one saying out loud like this movie should just be called every ounce of eastwood because like it's just at, like the like the whole thing is just like it's a it's basically just you spending time with him, but now oh man now I kind of want to watch this as three God that's a lot of hours though because they're all like two hours aren't they? Uh, no, the first two are shorter and faster actually. Okay. I think this is going to sound weird. This is the best of the three movies, but Fistful of Dollars is probably the mo- is probably the it's it's the Thor Ragnarok of this series. It's easily very easily rewatchable. It's very fast moving, you know, for a western. The story's tight because again, it, by the way, when I say it's Yojimbo, I mean lawsuit level. It's Yojimbo. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like in every way, apparently, like Eastwood was even told to like act like my Mifune acted. So. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but good man, good man, and the Uglies always had a place in my heart. I think. One of those like '80s movies that you know. Sorry, not it's a '60s movie. Saw in the '80s at a time where you know the westerns westerns haven't done well, right? The last well-performing western after this, you're probably going to Silverado, and from there, like you got uh, what's the cost of Dances with Wolves? Mm-hmm. You got Unforgiven. You know, westerns as a category is a tough category, and they I think. The Magnificent Seven reboot did poorly for a lot of reasons. Actually, it wasn't bad. The Lone Ranger reboot a couple years back was not too shabby. It was a weird movie. It's a very weird movie, but it's fun to watch. Yeah, that's the Johnny Depp one, right? Yeah, Yeah. it's fun. It's cute. Yeah, I don't know. I had I I just like not even trying to be like the woke police right now, but that whole a lot of the premise of that just didn't feel good (laughs) to me for some reason. Yeah, there, there's, yeah. I mean, I don't think you could do the Lone Ranger. You just have to start either forget it or redo it entirely. Right. But I don't think you have the genre living on if it's not for this movie, by the way. That was the last thing I was going to say. It's like this and Once Upon the Time of the West maybe are like the last two shepherds of the classic Western. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think Westerns are fascinating because I think you're right. The classic Westerns basically dead, but the Western influence can be can be seen in lots of stuff, like everything Tarantino's ever touched, obviously. Sure. Um, but also there's like a lot of other movies that have a Western approach to them. Uh, and and you can see a lot of every ounce of Eastwood, I think, in some of those movies if you're paying attention, which is cool. Yeah, I, I think this is one of those movies. It's like it's like a layer in filmmaking that we need to get this out. Like so much. Anytime you have any kind of showdown like scene ever, whether it's like Bugs Bunny, you know, all the way to any any um, comedy that has like a fake spoof of a showdown, uh, I think they all come back to this movie. Yeah, I love it. It's a great pick. It's a great pick. And now I want to go back and I like, again, learning that this is like a thing that was a, like a trilogy. I should probably go back and watch the other two. All right. Yeah. Give them a watch. Give them a watch. watch. They won't disappoint. All right. So my next one, uh, I will eh, actually, there's a little, eh, this is a little on theme. So we'll go uh, March 3rd, 2017. Another one from 2017. Sure. Why not? Well, now, I have no idea where you're going with this, but let's uh, let's keep chatting. I'm very proud of this one. Okay. Uh, I'll give you Eric LaSalle. 2017. And, 2017. And Soul Richard glow, Eric LaSalle. Yeah, of also of ER fame, Eric LaSalle. Not, not, not to me. Not to me. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Soul Glow is the better Eric version of Eric LaSalle. Sure. Well, I thought that's what you were about that that you were, and then I realized coming to America was only number two, so it's definitely not that. All right, sorry. Who was the other? Who was the other actor that you were mentioning? Uh, I can give you Richard Grant. Do you know who that is? I do. Okay. Hmm. Okay. Three words, please. Adopted three. <laughs> we'll do five. Uh, Adopted-ish parent shepherds children safely-ish. Adopted-ish parent. Shepherds. Is this like uh, mom and dad save the world or what are those? Spy Kids 3 or something like that? <laughs> no. I don't think it's that. In 3D. Um, what? Adopted. Ish parent. Ish parents. Well, it's funny because. Parent. I'm not mistaken, parent. Parent. Shepherds children safely ish. Oh, man. The only thing that I, I have this weird thing in my head that maybe you're, is this somehow, is this Logan? Yes. Wow. I'm very impressed with you right now because I had a hard time putting five words together because it was either going to be aggressively obvious or had to be like this where I was trying to like pull at it. So I wanted to pull at it. I'm very impressed with you right now. That's a great guess. Thanks, man. So you're asserting that the uh, Wolverine origin story and the other terrible one yep is this is a three-part sequel this, a, a, a three-parter this 100 is like it 100 okay. is as far as i'm concerned because if you think about it this is the only one that didn't have an end credit scene hence ending the saga of wolverine like they they put a bow on it this one is the end i'll take it i have no problem with that i i have to ignore the first two movies because they're just so abysmal but this yeah. one's a good movie and it's definitely in the same universe. Like there's no question about that. And, and the timeline like this was, it was in order. This one jumped all the way to 2029 for the reason of ignoring the other two very specifically. <laughs> like that's why right. James Mangold did that. But yeah, I just think that, so look, first of all, I want to, you led me into this perfectly. This is a Western. A lot of yes. this movie is a Western, 
right? It's a modern Western. And I, I think this movie as a standalone, forget as part of a trilogy, gets slept on for how well done this was. This movie, I actually really respect. Forget that I like it. Forget that it had to like tie up a bunch of dumb loose ends. Forget X-23. Forget the whole MCU. <laughs> Just watch the movie. Like you come in, if you have any orientation as to what's going on, it is super fast moving. All of it makes sense. The character arcs are tight, right? Like it's sort of like you understand the hero's journey. You understand like the villain's journey. All of it is relatively well put together. There's not a lot of like holes other than the whole like mutant thing. But like, again, that's just part of the universe. You have to accept it as truth. Uh, I think the performances in this are really, really impressive. Like this was peak Hugh Jackman. Uh, I actually thought Stephen Merchant was incredible in this. Uh, Daphne, I'm going to forget her last name was wildly good. That little girl yeah. in this is wildly, wildly good. Yep, yep. Um, I actually found out that that scene where she starts like just berating him in Spanish actually happened during the screen test and Mangold liked it so much. He's like, we're, we're putting that in the movie. That's going to be in the movie. I um, know that. That's pretty cool. It is kind of neat. Uh, yeah, I just think that this is like the most human feeling. Like there's very little CGI in this for the most part and they made a point to do that. Uh, like I like you know again that it has that western feel, big wide shots. I mean, even when you think about that sand dune thing, like there's just this massive, massive space, and then you wind up really tight on this little girl. Like there's all these really interesting cinematic moments. Um, and you know, our rating aside, like I just think this movie like is really good, and it actually sort of like I think it ended what was a, a an abysmal series. Like Wolverine is arguably the most popular and like most famous of all of the the X-Men, right? And and he kind of got like a really piss poor treatment twice. And even the stuff that he did not in his series, but in the other stuff was kind of garbage too. Like they just sort of like jumped around a bit. And then this one was like who I think of when I think of Logan and I think of, you know, Wolverine from the comics, which is like super, super dark and really gruff and really conflicted and troubled and all of those things. And then you just give him this small little person that mimics him. And now he all of a sudden has to be a caretaker, which wound up being his role in a lot of the comics, right? Like the, the, right. I don't want to be hero hero. I just think this movie is really, really good. And I think it gets slept on and I'm really happy they made it. Cause otherwise it would have been a bummer. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I think it's, it's a solid movie. I remember at the time not loving it as much as, as cause it was like, like fanboy heaven for this movie, right? Sure. Everybody in the comics loved this movie. The Johnny Cash soundtrack didn't hurt. Oh, my. <laughs> that last scene, uh, man, when they play, when a man comes around, get out of here. Get out of here. So good. So good. And Jackman, I mean, look, he, I don't know how they're going to make another Wolverine character. Like, they are going to struggle because whatever they do will always be compared. I mean, it's the same thing with Danny and, and Tony Stark. Like, they're just not going to make another Tony Stark. You'll just have someone else be Iron Man. Wolverine, on the other hand, we know we know the X Men are on their way into the MCU, so sooner or later he's got to pop up, and they they're either going to just de-age Jackman forever till he's like doing it in, the, in the Walker or something one day. But yeah, he's great, tight script. I agree with you on Merchant. Uh, uh, Patrick Stewart's great in it. Sir um, Patrick Stewart. Sir Patrick Stewart. <laughs> Even a discount Justin Timberlake, whoever that kid was, was, was fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, he was. That's a very, very, very funny reference that I had thought of. That's great. Uh, yeah, that's it. 
<laughs> That's good, Jeremy. I like yeah. that. Good pick. Nice, uh, good, good element of surprise with this one. Well done. Hey, thanks. I'll take it. I was trying to do a quick mental catalog of X-Men movies. And I think if you, or, or basically Wolverine, movies Wolverine is in, I think four of them are good. So X2 is probably the best of all of them. Yep. The, uh, the first class was good, not great. Okay. The Days of Future Past was, was pretty good. Yep. And Logan. And Logan. I think I can forget all the rest of them. Yeah, I think that's probably about right. I would actually say uh, as movies alone, I would put Logan first. And I think potentially I can make an argument for Days of the Future Past over two. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh, that's interesting. Well, save it for another day. <laughs> save it for another day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let's see. Where do I want to go? I'm going to stay in a similar-ish theme, I guess, for a moment. Okay. We'll go to 1985. Ooh. All Cast right. members that I can give but probably aren't helpful include Bruce Spence and Angelo Rosito. Oh, Angelo Rosito. I have no idea who that is. No, same. And this one will be uh, Closure on Post-Apocalyptic Road Trips. Mad Max. Beyond Thunderdome. Okay. Because we do need another hero. Look, this is like the essence of campiness in movies. It's like, yeah, I, I only, I, I, it's like the Doctor Who of movies. I don't know what is more campy than it. Nothing. And it's not bad. It's pretty fun. Like, it's not a good movie. Okay. Right. And Fury Road sort of demolishes the entire first three movies in so many ways. Like, Fury Road is so much better on, on every level than these three first ones were. But Thunderdome, again, I think it's a Gen X thing. I think it's because it was on HBO every week for four years. Yeah. I loved it. Two Man Enter, One Man Leaves. Tina Turner is so much fun. I, I it, it was in that era in the 80s where it's like Richard Dawson doing The Running Man. They were like... Who is popular that we can just throw into a movie and make into a villain? Because we'll just take anybody, right? And someone's yeah. like, how about this amazing singer with like this crazy life who just sort of come out of obscurity in the mid-80s with, you know, uh, Private Dancer and all, all of those songs. And then all of a sudden she's playing this crazy queen of Thunderdome. I don't remember the character's name. But it's insane. The movie's ridiculous. It makes no sense. And it's fun to watch. Uh, I want to watch this soon again because I feel like I haven't seen it in so long that I'm just curious what was it like. But we sort of like, we gave it a little, we, we sort of crapped on it a few months ago in one of our episodes. We sort of made some comparisons to it when we were talking about Fury Road. And while I was doing this, I was giving thoughts. I was like, you know, that's not fair. That's not fair. Thunderdome wasn't so bad at all. Not, not at all. So that's my pick, buddy. I, I love this as your pick. I had this earmarked as a, I hope Jeremy picks this. <laughs> uh, I like, I like where you're leaning into because I agree with you. I, I think the truth is, is that it's not a good movie, but it is exactly what it's supposed to be, and it is a lot of fun. And I do think that comparing Fury Road to any of them is a mistake because they are inherently just different movies. Like they're trying to accomplish different things. Specifically, Thunderdome. <laughs> Thunderdome is right. an island in the Mad Max world of this is a different thing. Have a good time. 
here's a movie. And, I, and for that, it's great. Uh, but for anything else, it's not that great. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's funny because in this era with all the MMA stuff and the cage fighting and all those kinds of things, like there's gotta be, I, I've got to assume that's a bunch of other Gen X nerds who are like, let's just do Thunderdome, but with real people without the chainsaws. And, and that's like how we have MMA. Well, the fact that they somebody hasn't grabbed Thunderdome for video gaming purposes and made that a game is beyond me. Because now, where we are in like the PS5 world, like, I mean, it is ripe for the picking. Ripe for the picking. Uh, it's sort of Mortal Kombat, sort of that. No, but now with the immersive 360 degree world and the fact that Mad Max Fury Road came out, like, I feel like there's a moment in time where somebody should go do, mm. hey, internet, go do that. <laughs> yeah, maybe use like the Rocket League engine. Yeah. All right, so uh, where do I want to go? I have two left. I'll do this one. Okay, so uh, June 18th, 2010. Yep. You got this? I think so. I, again, I'm not writing down the, the month and day anymore, so I have more guessing potential. But knowing uh, you and knowing that I have one here for 2010, I just got to assume. Yep, so knowing me is the clue. But, yeah, so Ned Beatty and Wallace Shawn, and my five words were welcome – or no, my five words were – Home to hell and back. Mine is Michael Keaton and Wallace Shawn. Uh, and I have closure on Andy's oldest friends. There you go. Yeah. So is this in your top five? This is in Pong. Okay, good. All right, cool. So Toy Story 3, which there is Toy Story 4. So again, I don't care about our rules and nobody else should either. Uh, this Toy Story 3, I thought, was like the perfect ending until they did Toy Story 4. And then I remember thinking, oh, okay, no, this was right. And I really hope they leave this alone now because 4 is perfect. All of that being said, the reason Toy Story 3 is on the list, because I had other ones that I was like, oh, this would be more fun. There's one in particular that like the last three, Toy Story, my last one, and one other movie were really tight. And I couldn't figure out which one. The reason Toy Story 3 got the nod is because... It's actually really, really impressive world building. And they did something really interesting in this that I think people like kind of sleep on. So this is a prison break movie. Hard yeah, stop. Like for sure. And and like a really, really good one. <laughs> like if you just remove the whole like Woody and toys and kids, if you just look at this plot line, these these are prisoners. This is Shawshank Redemption with a bunch of people. Like, it's a really good version of that. Yeah, it's the great escape. It's toys. Yeah, it's the great escape with toys. And that's like a really cool thing. Um, the world building I thought was really impressive too because like there's, – so there's 302 characters in this film, which at the time was the most of any Pixar film, but I think it still might be. Um, it's, I mean, you know, I love animated movies. I had to sneak one onto my list. Obviously there is a lot of trilogy by the way, in the animation world that I could have picked from, but this one is like actually really good. And I just think that it's a, it's a really intense movie and they tackled a lot of the stuff they needed to wrap things up in one and two. Um, and they set up a beautiful sort of next iteration if they decided to do something with Bonnie. But I mean, the scene with the toys and Andy on the porch, when he introduces Woody to Bonnie is heartbreaking. I mean, it is so, so good. It's so, so, so big. It's such a big feeling. I mean, I have feelings right now thinking about it. And I just think that if you, if you take that in context and assume like 
this heartbreaking, like moving on story wrapped into this great escape thing with like this horrible bear villain. There's a lot of stuff happening in this movie and it all kind of like totally makes sense and they pull it off absolutely seamlessly. And I think it's a great flick, man. <laughs> uh, fully agreed. I love, I, you know, I, I think I told you this. I saw this one last year for the first time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I still have to watch four. That's, that's my goal for the summer right now is watch Toy Story 4. I'll find the time. Toy Story 4 is a great outdoor movie movie. That's a great, like, throw it on the projector at night with the kid. Like, it's because it's fun. It's like a lot of fun, but it also happens to just be like a really good movie. Well, I, I, I've heard nothing but praise from, from me. From certain somebody. <laughs> my, my only issue, which I remember thinking at the time, and I went looking to try to figure out where in the timeline of animated movies this one hits. There's something that happened in the in animated movies in the 2010s, and I do believe this is the movie that might have ushered it all in, was storytelling that's all for kids, but you realize that the consequences if things went wrong are absolutely horrifying. Yeah. Right? Like, if you've seen um, Paddington, the first one. Yep. If you've seen Shaun the Sheep movie, if you see, and if you've seen Toy Story 3 and others... Basically, there's a moment in somewhere near the final climactic whatever where your beloved pet, friend, animal, stuffed thing, whatever, is going to be shredded, melted, dropped in acid. Who knows? But some really awful – trolls also. I don't know if you saw the DreamWorks trolls. It's like – Oh, my God. Of course I did. Right. It's like, oh, are we going to eat your favorite characters? Yeah. Is that what's going to happen? Right. Yeah, yeah, this one was uh, incinerated in a garbage plant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I remember watching it being like, man, if I were seven right now, this is a little tough. Like, you're like, you know, the first couple, it's like, I hope that the mean near boy, it's like, I hope the mean other kid doesn't, doesn't like play with them or I hope they don't get ignored. I hope they don't get stuck in the closet. And that's like, and I hope that nobody burns Woody into a pile of ash. Yeah, that's it, it's a very good point, and it's an interesting one because I do think that they sort of like it's weird. There's almost like a gap year where like they make the movies so that they're approachable and they're super scary, but you wouldn't know if you're like five or six and under. And then if you're like ten and over, it's fine because you know they're animated. And then there's this weird gap in the middle where it's like just nightmare fuel. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, and if you think back, there's it's almost a hearkening to like really old Disney movies we've talked about before, like how Bambi and Dumbo and Pinocchio have like terrifying moments in them. Brutal. Here, though, they make it the climactic thing, and I think it actually seems to be changing back again. Maybe it's a, a few like few too many parents of uh, of these mo- movie makers who are like, oh, my kids are freaked out. Maybe I should maybe I should take it down a notch. Well, I think what's happening, at least this is like totally just me positing something with absolutely no proof behind it. But I look at like Moana and I look at uh, everything that's happening with Frozen and like sort of that whole world, even um, Onward and stuff. And I, what I see is I think I see kids in the animation and story creating process who grew up scarred like I did from <laughs> The Lion King, right? And they're like, we can introduce conflict without death. And, and that's that's not a thing that was happening, right? Like Moana is a completely different kind of story, right? Moana is trying to save her people from nature crumbling around them, which, you know, long term you can see death. But it's not like 
run Bambi run. Like you're about to get shot right. with a, with an arrow. <laughs> like right. It's a little, it's a little less direct, which I think is probably helpful, but I don't know. It's a great movie. They're all great movies. Toy Story 3 is great. Fun. All right. I will move on. Let's go to 1989. Okay. IMDb's 124th ranked movie of all time. All right. Starring, I think you probably get it, but uh, starring John Reese davies and River Phoenix. Ooh, River Phoenix is throwing me off because I don't remember River Phoenix being in the movie I think this is, but I think I know what this is. And this one is Closure on Being Called Junior. Yeah. So I had this in Pong. This is Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. It is. And my five words were, Daddy does it disappear. <laughs> nice. Yeah, River Phoenix is in the opening sequence, which then inspires the young Sherlock Holmes TV series. Today playing, I yeah, yeah, playing, you know, young Indiana. In a, in a, in a great little, uh, it's like a 12, 13-minute sequence. That, that Really, really nice. I love this movie. Uh, I barely will acknowledge that they made a fourth. They didn't. I, yeah, it's, it's in there. Like it's in that category of like, I hope they don't make a, another one of these. Cause I really love the three we got. Yeah. It's I, I am in that camp and I know this is highly debatable and everybody's a lot of people get mad. I like this movie far more than I like Raiders. I think Raiders is probably just the most um, archetypical hero, you know, uh, Fantasy, non non sci fi, non craziness. Although you do have a magical arc thing, true. But there's something about Last Crusade. I think the writing's a little more fun. I think the characters are more fun. Sean Connery brings a new type of Sean Connery to this movie. Yeah, you know he's not a Bond, and he's not the incredible badass he is in The Rock. He's he's sort of almost like. He's almost like a, a like a Harrison Ford, like a senior Harrison Ford senior. Like he really does bring a whole new perspective of himself, and I love it. I love quoting this movie. I love the lines in it. There's, I, I can't tell you how much it. It's like the easiest rewatchable of the three. You know, the story's great. Love it. Yeah, I know. I yeah, that's just great. That's very well said. I. The, the argument of I was actually going to ask you if you had to rank the three where this falls, um, because I had a f- I tend to lean towards the last crusade. I just think it's a more fun version. Yeah, like you can't have it without one. Like I'm not I'm not um, one is special. It's got its own. It's it's not, you know, it, it, it would be the Shawshankable thing. Right? It, right. In so many ways. But once it's already out there. I then now prefer three. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I tend to agree. I tend to agree. It's a great pick. Uh, I had it in Pong. I knew it was going to come up. I just wasn't sure in what context. So totally makes sense. Great pick. This is a good, it's a good on brand generational pick too. <laughs> For sure. For yeah. sure. What is 89? So I'm like, what am I, 16, 17 watching this? Perfect. 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 Yeah. And nobody's face melted off. Although, no. The old guy, the guy massively aging in 30 seconds, that CGI or whatever, that those practical effects, whatever's going on there, horrifying. Yeah, pretty bad. Not face melting bad, but like it's pretty bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's avert your eyes kids bad. Oh, for sure. 
Uh, okay, my last one. So I was really stuck between, like I said, it was kind of three. I had to sneak in an animation. So I was really stuck between <laughs> this and another one. Uh, so I'm going to give a name check to Bo, who convinced me that this one should be on the list through text. So July 20th of 2012. And I will give you Aiden Gillen and Matthew Modine. Aiden Gillen. Okay, I have a 2012 movie, but I think you're talking about a different movie. I'll hear. I I I know what it is, but let's hear your five words anyway. Okay, so the five words is just purely for fun because it's going to give it away. But I was born in it. I don't. I don't. I'm assuming you meant uh, Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. What, what was your, What was that? What was the I was, accent? I was born in it. No, I'm not doing no. Bane. That's not Bane. Well, put your hand over your mouth while you talk and try it again. Oh, sorry. There you go. I was born in it. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so here's the deal. When I first thought about Dark Knight Rises, I actually was like, absolutely no way this is making my top five. Because I have a number of issues with this movie. <laughs> like, like a number of issues with this movie. The biggest of which is the whole, just the, all, all of Anne Hathaway's Catwoman. Like, not, I thought she was great. I actually think she did a great job. That entire storyline felt so forced and so unnecessary and it just felt like they were trying to like jam her in and they were going to jam in Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Robin and they didn't really give either of them nearly enough time to develop and make sense. Like, I really bums me out, genuinely. However, <laughs> the more I thought about it, like, the redeeming qualities in this movie are so strong. <laughs> like, there's some really, really good stuff here and Nolan did a really nice job of sort of wrapping this up. And Tom Hardy is so good. Like, he's just like, Bane is iconic. Like, I can't think in the last, you know, almost, geez, almost 20 years. No, I'm sorry, that's not right. In, in, in almost 10 years. Like, in the past 10 years, trying to think of a, a villain that, like, had the kind of effect that Bane had conversationally. Just like in the, in the, in the sense that they existed and people talked about it. Like Thanos is the one that immediately comes to mind, but like not really. Like Thanos was just kind of cool, but I don't think people talked about Thanos the way that like Bane affected culture for the better part of three years. Interesting comment. Um, let's let's go there because I'm gonna. I, I have issues with this movie at a major level. Actually, I enjoy a lot of it. It's this is to me almost uh, the same issues I'll have with like a lot of Zack Snyder's work where. I feel like you have a lot of great set pieces and a lot of good sequences and you can't quite figure out a story that pulls them all together the way it should. Like I get it. Um, it's, it's the comparison would actually be like infinity war yep. where you look at such a perfectly, to, per, I mean, I, I feel, I still, you know that about me. I think infinity war is a better movie than Endgame was. I think it is. Yeah. It's great. So this is lacking from that cohesion. Uh, so yes on Bane, I think that comes a lot from the early release of that. You know, they early they leaked that not leaked they they released the first whatever twelve minutes or something. Yep, and it's great. Other than I am talking like this the whole movie, you know, which does I think it took a lot out of the movie. 
I think given that you between what's funny by the way, between this and Fury Road, all you get out of Tom Hardy is his eyes. But then I'm actually going to agree with you and be like, yeah, he does one heck of a job with those eyes. Like, yeah, Hardy is great in this role. I think the overall story just just falls in too many different places. Um, and the reason I don't love it, and it didn't, by the way, make any of my lists. I had it jotted down more as the homage to the first two. But in retrospect, again, there's a couple of scenes I'll rewatch. I don't need to watch this movie. Um, I think that a huge mistake of making most of it take place during the day. I think it's very, uh, it was a bold move. I respect Nolan. I always respect what Nolan tries to do. I just wanted a lot more out of it. I wanted, and I wanted, I wanted Bane even in the movie to have even more presence because he does and, and he's great, except for the final act. And in the final act, he almost reduces to, the Batman and Robin version of Bane, where he's just sort of like this stumbling, big, strong guy that doesn't really have much to do. Yeah, so totally respect your opinion. And I had a feeling that you weren't going to like this pick, and I'm, I'm happy you didn't because it's one conversation. <laughs> but the thing that I really think what this movie suffered from, and by the way, I don't disagree with anything you just said, but I, I pinpoint that as trying to do too much. Yeah. Right. I think like Dieter Rahm, right? Less but better. Just get rid of Hathaway entirely, which I know, by the way, would have heartbroken her because there's a great story about she got a call from her publicist. He said, are you sitting down? And she dropped the phone and sprints around her, her apartment screaming, <laughs> I'm Catwoman, I'm Catwoman, I'm Catwoman. And then he came back and he's like, no, no, you got the Oscars. And she's like, oh, and she was like disappointed. Like that's how bad she wanted that role. Wow. So, And I think she did great. Like I really do. I think her story sucked. But I think yeah. like the idea that she like what she was doing would have been really interesting. Same thing with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Just leave Robin out of it. Like you're not developing that enough, so you wind up having to service these other three stories, right? And then you've got the entire like the whole Bruce Wayne kids house thing again. It's just like just no. Get rid of right. all of it. Give me thirty minutes back. Give me more Bane and Batman directly. And then even the Marion Criard thing, like, fine, leave her in it and make her cool twist. I get it. Neat story. Fine. That all I really would have sang for me. But it just felt like a lot of fan service, which is a bummer because, A, I'm not a DC kid, so I don't care. And, <laughs> and B, it, I do agree with you. It took away from the movie. But when I look at the other stuff on my list that made it to Contender Pong, as a movie, I do think even though you could probably cut – all three of those storylines out in this movie would be better. Um, I do think it's a really, really well put together movie because I just love what Nolan does. And I think this, for me, which is the difference that I'm hearing between you and I, is the set pieces are so good that I'm willing to forgive a lot of the other stuff. But mm -hmm. I totally understand not being able to do that. Yeah, I like, it's the little things. This is, uh, this, this is what always gets me. It's, um, it's the all the police go into the sewers thing. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, like... That's the, the the problem with it is it's a Chris Nolan film and Nolan's smart and so Nolan's characters tend to do smart things so you can't have your chief of police or whatever no matter how dumb you're going to make him you can't have him issue ridiculous orders that just don't like it's hinky you know it's the hinky moment kind of thing like you could have gotten rid of the cops in so many other ways and you could have yeah. made it more complicated and done that fine like I would have taken more complexity like. 
you know, the clever ruses, like per Die Hard 3, right? Right. You yeah. Know, they, they, they had vehicles for doing so. Um, but so those things took away too much from the overall arc. Even like if you're going to the suspension of disbelief of like how, how uh, uh, Bruce Wayne heals himself and gets back in shape, like, okay, fine. Like that implausible, but it's comics and Bruce Wayne and all that. We're going to do those things. But yep. then you can't send the cops into the sewers and, and, and do all that, you know. Yeah. No, I, again, I'm not going to defend this movie. It was, it was a genuine conversation. So this was not in my top five. And I was having a conversation with my buddy, Bo, who's a listener and, a good, and just a good friend. And he was like, how do you not have it in there? And I explained why. And we talked about it. And in talking about it, I was picking out – I went the opposite way of you. I started picking out all the things I liked. And the list kept growing. I was like, you know what? I really like this sequence. I love this scene. The entire like where they're screaming in Moroccan to get out of the tunnel. Like there's a lot of really powerful, big Mm -hmm. Nolan moments where I'm like, man, those are the things that stick out to me. And they stick out to me more than the dumb stuff of which there is a plenty. But like that stuff didn't stick out. So it wound up. And you'll understand when I tell you my third, but the other movie that would have made the list instead of this, I think you hate way more than you hate this movie. <laughs> so I think you'll actually wind up thinking this is fine for me. But yeah, anyway, Dark Knight, I stand behind it. It was hard. I, didn't, I wasn't sure, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with it. Fair enough, buddy. All right. My last one, 1983, starring, including uh, Frank Oz and uh, what apparently was autocorrected to James Early Jones. So 1983, mm-hmm. you said Frank Oz, and I immediately wanted to go Muppets, but it's probably Star Wars. <laughs> Closure on Desert Slave Story. Okay, for some reason, that's really tripping me up. I'm yeah, right. You were right. Yeah. I'm right. It's still Star Wars, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. I was just trying to be clever. You know. No, it's, it is clever, but like I get nervous when we get into the 80s all, all the time. Like I feel like I'm going to miss something. And I also feel aggressively inadequate to, to hang, hang with you in Star Wars. So I always get really like on edge. So I'm glad that I'm right, but I'm also going to stop talking now. <laughs> all good. I got to be honest. I don't know that I really, really, really put this here, but I kind of can't not put it here. Like when... If 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 thirteen year old me was talking to forty eight year old me and say I'm sorry ten year old me was like you're not putting Return of the Jedi the greatest film to have ever been filmed which is exactly <laughs> what I thought for many for for years to come like sure there was nothing even on par with Jedi and now I can look back at it and pick it apart from a bunch of different ways and it really is very bloated and we all know that and. That said, like when if you hadn't seen modern movies, if all of that you just strip it all away for a second. First of all, the first hour of the movie, and it is exactly one hour until the the barge is destroyed and uh, and they've saved Luke and Han and everybody. That's just an amazing hour of movie. Like, yes, amazing. When I was a kid, the Rancor Pit fight. I knew the name of the monster. I knew the name of like the the salacious Toth or whatever the, th- I knew all of the stuff. I had the figures, I had all the, all the everythings. This movie was amazing. And then you have the speeder chase battle in, in uh, Mill Valley there, or <laughs> which is where it's filmed. If in the, up in Marin, 
amazing again at the time there there had never been anything like it it took car chases up to a whole new level the speed at which he filmed it the way it all rolled out then you get to the actual meat of the story the the leia reveal i mean it's so great again 48 year old me looks at it and it's like yeah there's about 45 minutes you need to cut and the ewoks make no sense and like uh, like all this stuff just doesn't really work but it doesn't matter because the movie was made for 13-year-old me or 10-year-old me. So he gets the voice today. So that's it. That's all I got to say. In my list, it says return space Jeremy. That's all it says on my list. <laughs> I didn't. I got two I, returns. There's, there's no date. There's well, the, the, the return. Well, I really thought you might go into Return of the King. This one, I was like, I, buddy, the floor is 100% yours. Because like I said about Freddie Prince last week, right? Like his whole thing is like, you don't get to be mad as an adult Star Wars fan that these new movies aren't pandering to you anymore. And right. so I love that you brought 13-year-old Jeremy back to the table today for this. Because I, I agree that if you had to like Rick and Morty and go back and sit in front of you and go, hey, uh, we don't like Return anymore, that 13-year-old would, would punch you right in the private parts. Like, there's no Absolutely. way that that conversation would go well. This, this is the only movie I can remember, like straight up remember all the way until gosh, probably aliens. Whenever that's like 86, uh, 86, 87, maybe even later. That This is the last movie. Aliens will be the exact next one that I can recall going to the theaters for. Like I fully remember standing in line I remember what it was like. I remember which movie right. theater I was at, where in the line we were. I was with my dad. It was opening night. You know, we right. stood out there for a long time, which was not something that you used to do. Right. Like, you yeah. didn't do that. Right. And so, yeah, I, I, it's it, it has to be here for that purpose alone. So I love it. I love it. And that's that's Jurassic Park for me. Like, for me and my buddies who I'm going to be with all next week, like, that's how all of us remember Jurassic Park is the same way, which is right. – so it's great. Uh, all right, let's roll through Pong, even though we stepped all over it. So I want to tell you the one, there was technically two, but the one that I thought you would hate, because I don't think you like this movie, maybe I'm wrong. And I don't know if you even consider it a threequel. <laughs> um, so April of 97, wanted to be a normal couple. April of 97. 97 has a third part of something? Hmm. Yeah, there's a little bit of liberty here, but I accept. The, uh, I need a little more. Oh wait, no, we don't have more. There's Who's no more. in it. Give me, give me one person. Joey Lauren Adams. Oh, is that Chasing Amy? So Chasing Amy is the the trilogy. It's yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I am one of the few people I know who loves Chasing Amy and still loves Chasing Amy. Most people that I know, even Kevin Smith, people hate it <laughs> or hate it in comparison to the other two. Um, and I, so I was kind of stuck between, again, I punted on Indiana Jones. I punted on both returns. And so I was kind of <laughs> left with this movie, Dark Knight Rises, and then one other one, which I'll talk about next. Chasing Amy would have been my favorite of those movies because I love that movie. But I had a hard time putting that ab above Dark Knight Rises for a lot of, I think, pretty obvious cinematic reasons. That's fair. And, and look, if I think if you like that movie, and I'm clearly not in that camp, it probably does immediately make it to a top five list, right? Because if you, the the whole the askew universe or whatever the the yeah. clerk's uh, view anthology yeah. was, yeah, yeah, it was great stuff. 
Mallrats is an underrated movie. Uh, I just chasing Amy. If you could just maybe redo Joey Lauren Adams' voice and her, I want to say about twelve minutes of straight screeching. If you could just take that out or find a way to re, re just lower the turn up a little more bass on her voice or something. I don't know what I need. Some auto tune. I could probably rewatch the movie and be fine. So what we learned today is we need a T-Pain remix of Chasing Amy, and we're good. <laughs> probably. Probably. I mean, I, I yeah, I, I couldn't stand that. And, it, and it, it was so annoying to me that it blew out the rest of the movie for me. Listen, you're not the only person that feels that way by a long shot. Just, just Google it. Um, I, I happen to love Joey Lord Adams. I actually personally believe that a lot of that annoyingness is what brought her character together for me. Like I actually think it was necessary. I also just, I love writers and I love when writers write and that movie is so like, it's a better screenplay than it is a movie by a lot. Like it just, Mm. it really is. It reads beautifully and it's acted well, you know, Joey Lord Adams, whatever the rest of the crew. But like, I have that in screenplay form. Just, I like it's sitting on my desk right I love that. <laughs> and if you read it, it is, there are, you want a pull quote? Huh, buddy, all of it. There's, it's beautiful. There's so much beautiful language in that that is tossed together in what is basically like a really gross late 90s story, which is perfect. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, my first punk. So I've gotten through two of these already. So I have three left. Three? One, two, three left to go. So we'll start here in 1990. Okay. And closure on being called chicken. I have no idea. Back to the Future 3. Oh, right. Yeah, for some reason, 3, I just never liked and it didn't even... It was like on my, hey, that's a movie, and I never even... I never made it past the, that's a movie for me. I never liked it until rewatching it like six months ago with my kids. And then I was like, you know, that was... I, I was actually always a fan of number two. Of, of, of I mean, the first is obviously the best. But yeah. at the time... Two was not well regarded, and three was when this came out. You know, oh, interesting. Yeah, you were like five, right? Like, that's correct. Yeah, so they it was that thing where like they filmed them back to back, they released them six months apart from each other. Two came out, I loved it, and it was sort of not panned, but sort of just lukewarm, a tepid reception. I think would be the mm. term. And then three came out, and people were like, oh, that was great, and I was like, I think the other one was better. And as I went doing a bit of reading uh, this week. That's become sort of the universal thing. Like now people are like, yeah, two is definitely better than three. I enjoyed three far more than I expected to when I rewatched it. So I felt it deserved a nod and it's such a great franchise. So love it. All right. My next one, this is the other one that was in the running and the more I, this is what was actually on my list before Dark Knight Rises. And then this is the one that I just, the more I thought about, I had to pull out. So uh, May, 2013, a dash of pepper saves. I'm going to assume this is Iron Man 3 from your clever, yeah. your clever, clever writing there. Hey, thanks. Yeah, it's a good it one. Is. No, that was that was really good. I, I like that a lot. Thanks. Yeah, this one, look, I don't really want to. The more I thought about Iron Man 3, the more I was like, nah, actually, no. <laughs> like, it's just, I was like, oh, I love Iron Man. I love Tony Stark and the MCU. And then I was like, eh, Thor Ragnarok. And I was looking at like Logan and I'm like, oh, right. Those are like good movies. Uh, Iron Man 3, I guess, is a movie, huh? And I just couldn't I, – I like it. There's, again, parts that really stand up. But listen, I would take Dark Knight Rises over Iron Man 3, and I'm, an, and I'm a Marvel kid. It's funny because I have 
in addition to the, my next two poems, I, I have four more movies I would put ahead of what you of Iron Man three in my like not even in Pong list. I have some others that I still think are decent enough. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a running theme that you'll see with my remaining Pong stuff, which was more sort of just me picking stuff that I thought was fun. Okay, here's my next one, 2012, uh, closure on telling Kay's story. Kay's story. Oh, Men in Black, uh, Men in Black Three. This is on my extended list. Yeah, it's yeah, a fun movie. Yeah. It's a fun movie. The second one was really mediocre, and this yeah. I didn't even see the international or the reboot or whatever they're doing. It's but fun. three was three was totally underrated. Yeah, I agree. I, yeah. I really, I actually like three a lot. All right, uh, this was totally sentimental, but that's okay. Nineteen ninety four, like the others, but college. Uh huh. Is this Home Alone 3? This is uh, D3, The Mighty Ducks. <laughs> oh. I don't know if I even saw that one. It's like the others, but in college. <laughs> but in college. Did you, have you watched the Disney Plus series? I haven't checked it out yet. I have not yet because I'm, I, I'm, I'm up to here with stuff I got to watch and Loki is taking all the precedent. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's not as much urgency around, around the Mighty Ducks fan, but I want to watch it. Um, my last one, 1992. Closure on Boomstick and Necronomicon. This is my Boomstick. Um, T3. No. No, Boomstick. No, you're right. T3 was bad. I can't think of what this is. It's Army of Darkness. It's uh, Evil Dead 3. Evil Dead 3. Right, right, right. This is my Boomstick. Okay. Yeah, that's that's a franchise that I'm not at all familiar with outside of like probably YouTube clips, to be honest. And this was one of those like '90s got really big cult movie. Like this was like VHS cult movie. You know, yeah. in every video store where you've got like the staff picks, Army of Darkness is sitting on that shelf. So Andrew and Will were my friend Robbie's older brother and his best friend, and they were probably six years my senior. And I remember them loving this when I was like ten, and I was like, "Whatever, you guys are so weird." This is one of those movies I like. I probably was, it wasn't my kind of cult classic. You know, they, we all have our own little pockets of cult classicness, you know? Sure. Uh, but I felt like it needed a nod. It was a fun movie. Bruce Campbell's great. This is Sam Raimi in his early days. Great. And I just, I know it's not going to come up in many of my lists. I can't even think of another category we'd create that I, you know, movies with the undead. I don't know. Uh, but I felt Army of Darkness needed some kind of mention on this podcast at some time. And so there it is. I'm a big fan of it. Uh, okay. So my last one I'll do uh, is 2002. And my five words are Daddy Does It Disappear. Uh, this is. No, this isn't in that genre. Um, 2002? Oh, yeah. Is this. Is this the Pirates of the Caribbean 3? Nope. So that was At World's End, which I thought about, but that was later. And there's also like 100 of those. So I actually wound up putting that in the Fast and Furious franchise because I can't tell when the, when that series starts and ends anymore. And it's the third one was terrible anyway. Real bad. Real bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm uh, my only other I, – again, I think my time frame is wrong. There's no way this is Ocean's 13, is it? Nope. That's way too – this is way earlier than that. Okay, what, what, what is it? So this is Michael Caine is the daddy who disappears, and this is Austin Powers and Goldmember. Oh, yeah, 
Yeah, it's a cute. Yeah, it's a good pick. To- total generational. Like that's why. Like literally, I was like, yeah. okay, Iron Man three, Austin Powers, and D three is all like for the kids who are my age listening to this. All three of those were for you. By the way, there are significantly better movies that I left off <laughs> to yeah. be able to just bring those up and do like a fun little five word thing. But I wanted to throw fringe millennials a bone. So there you go. Yeah, I had, uh, that's fair. And I had, by the way, I had Ocean 13, Born 3, and John Wick 3 as my last, like, maybe I could, you know, like if I'm pressed for time, but those, yep. so then the I, list falls apart. Born 3 I had, uh, Parabellum I can't because I can't get past how bad that villain was, even though it's the guy from Iron from Iron Chef and I love that part of it. Like I love that part of it, but like, it's just so overacted. That movie is so overacted. Um, and then the other one I had is once upon a time in Mexico, which I was going to say Hitman spy shootouts, guitar case. Cause that's right. like that El Mariachi Desperado. That's actually like a fun little series that I think people forget is a thing. Yeah. Yeah. But that was it. All right. Good. There picks. you go. I fun stuff. This was fun. It's funny that like, I feel like every time we do like, oh, this is going to be an easy research, we wind up with one that's like impossible to pick a top five you're happy with. And it, when we were like, oh, this is going to be a nightmare to research, we both come in like really staunch in our opinions, which I don't know if it's well, good or bad, but. It, in a way, like you end up, I think we're often ending up with two scenarios. One is like the more you research, the more you dig, the more like the hole gets bigger and you're like, great, now I've got 60 amazing movies to choose from. Right. This is going to suck. That's where I'm texting you like, hey, can we make this two categories? <laughs> yeah, you know? right. And then you have something like this where I got to these 16 titles uh, in minutes. You know, I went to my list of lists and, and like only added one or two. And that was kind of like, okay, I guess most of these part threes, are, you know, can't talk about Godfather 3. Although I haven't Oof. seen the new, uh, I can't remember, the, there's a new cut of it that I actually do want to see very badly. Yeah, I want to see it, but it's not. I'll, I will never forgive its existence as it first came out. No, it's it's. Although the keep pulling me back in is such a good line. If not, if it gave us nothing but that, yeah, eh, I don't know. It might be worth it. Um, so next week uh, we will be releasing our podcast on July third, the day that we celebrate every year as the day that a lot of movies that we like came out. So, Back to the future, so, uh, to the future, Top Gun. There's a whole litany of movies. Independence Day. Hey, JT, how old is Back to the Future turning this coming year? It'll be 36. It'll be 36. Well, I really hope Back to the Future has a great birthday. And I, th- I think it will. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but given how close the third is to the fourth, because that's how numbers work, uh, and it's my turn to pick a movie category. Sure is. I'm going to pick a movie category and it's going to be the top five America movies. And that's all we're going to say. There's no rules. It's just the top five America movies. I, I, I have to ask one question. Sure. Is it M-U-R-I-C-A or M-E-R-I-C-A? So it's a fair question and it's an important one, Jeremy. I don't know because <laughs> I see the M-U-R-I-C-A a lot, but I think I think like – the right grammatical thing is to do the apostrophe M-E-R-I-C-A. Mm, mm. So you might have the M-U-R pronunciation, but the correct usage. I think, I think the correct – hey, Jeff, anybody else who's really into like words, please tell us how you think we should represent Murica on next week's podcast. <laughs> Murica.
Uh, all right. So thank you as always for joining us, folks. Uh, listen, the Twitters, the Instagrams, the other things, the TikToks. Do we have a TikTok? I don't know. Maybe we do. Maybe we don't. You'll have to go look. Uh, but if you have anything that you want us to talk about, let us know. Otherwise, uh, we'll see you next week for July 3rd, almost kind of 4th. Okay, bye. There's a man going round taking names And he decides who to free and who to blame Everybody won't be treated all the same There'll be a golden ladder reaching down When the man comes around